airways Here is my request You don't have to play it But I hope you'll do your best I've been listening to your show on the radio And you seem like a friend to me Howdy hi, Victoria Stand the man Hello Oh, don't get up, it's only me. Hello, welcome to a brand new year. I'm Liz. I'm Pete. 1420-3XY, how are you? It's nine after six with Lee Simon. It's 18 to six, 3DB with Keith McGowan. More grand old favourites to play for you a little later on. 3DE, the breeze 693. Good morning and welcome to our brand new radio station. Good afternoon, Melbourne. It's seven minutes past three. This is Greg Evans at 1420 3XY. Well, hi and welcome once again to Pilots of the Airwaves. It is our 40 minutes or so where we catch up with the people behind the voices who were friends to a whole generation. Today's guest has influenced the listening habits of millions of Australians for almost five decades through innovative programming, an ear for detail, and her ability to gather great teams together. As one employee noted, Cherie employed me in 1986, and to this day, I'd walk through fire for this woman. She's an amazing woman, leader, and friend. At 20, she taught me the value of working hard to achieve a dream. She was so tough, but incredibly fair, and the thought of disappointing her was something her entire team couldn't bear, so we all did the job we needed to do, and then a little bit more. The afternoon sky hangs low in Perth today. It's not really a gloomy day. But it's funny how clouds can sometimes just kind of take the edge off a day. But there's usually something or someone to offset it. A friend, a love, a smile, words... Music. PR music. Cherie Romaro, welcome to Pilots and thanks for joining us. It is an absolute pleasure, Paul. Okay, Cherie, let's go right back to the Cherie at high school. I would suspect that you would have been an active member of the SRC, probably chair of the Students' Social Committee, and that pesty kid that was always making recommendations and suggestions to the principal. Close or way off the mark? Way, way off the mark. I was the odd one out, I was the bullied one, I was the daggy one, I was definitely um, not that academic, I had to work really, really hard and I was always in trouble. Um, I think the only thing that saved me in high school was being good at sport. So I was really good at swimming and I was really good at netball. And that's the only reason I think I even was noticed. So tell us, how did you end up in the record library at 6PR in the early 70s? Um, Long story short, I always wanted to be in radio, um, but I didn't want to. I I was told at that time there was only women only were, were in those days only secretaries or um, receptionists. And I didn't want to be either of those. I wanted to be the one who was in charge of picking all the music. And this job came up and I wrote in and I did get an interview and I was given a typing test, 
of which I failed dismally because I couldn't type to save myself. And um, I can remember the lady's name so clearly. Her name was Leith. She had about a 12-inch mini skirt on. She had the beautiful nails. She was glamorous and absolutely perfect. And she said, you're very nervous. I said, absolutely nervous. She said, I think you're perfect for the job. You'll pick up the typing. And that's how I got the job at the record library. Now, the station was in its gentle on-your-mind phase. Who were some of the on-air personalities delivering that format? Um, Ted Bull, Tony Hartney. These are from memory. Um, I think David Ellery. There were a lot of Rep Walker chosen announcers with beautiful voices. Peter Sinclair, Philip Lear. I'm, I'm scrounging at names here. You know what I'm picturing? I'm picturing a photograph which we're all in at the time. And that's how I'm picking them off. <laughs> but that's, that'll do. Some great names there and a great recall as well, Cherie. So the position of musical director came up at the station and you were appointed, therefore making you the first female music director in Australia. Why do you think you were considered the best person for the job? I worked my butt off 18 hours a day, seven days a week. Sometimes, because there was no, I wasn't driving at that point. I didn't have a car. My dad would pick me up at 2 a.m. sometimes, on you know, because I couldn't get home. But I decided that if I was ever going to move from typing logs and doing stuff, that I would learn everything I could from the then program director. And I absorbed every single thing I could. The program director got fired very quickly and there was no one to do the job of picking the music. And I said, look, I'll, I'll, I can do it until you find someone. So I put my hand up. I applied everything I learned over those uh, a year and a half, I think it was. They said, okay, you're only temporary. You know, girls don't get these jobs. I said, that's fine. That's fine. Anyway, um, I just kept doing it. And we had great ratings and I had a... A wonderful understanding. It doesn't didn't matter that I was only a kid, basically, but playing music way out of my target demographic. I absolutely had an appreciation for every type of music, and I learnt it all. And it it became the base of which I applied all of my music directing roles and in the future program director. So they couldn't find anyone. Ratings were great, so they said, oh, look, you can have the job. Well, I thought, yes, yes, I've finally got the job, and that's how I became the first music director. Now, Cherie, so many of our guests credit their first appointment as their greatest learning experience. What did you learn at 6PR? A lot. Don't get caught up in all of the drama. Uh, be respectful to everyone from the receptionist to the general manager. Um, I think respect, and I also I also put my trust, I put it out there, I was very trusting, and whilst that sometimes didn't work, I figured if I gave that trust that I would be given the trust. So I think that those things, trust and respect, were two very good values. Sitting rhythm, it's a sound of sitting rhythm. 
Our special guest today on Pilots is Cherie Romaro, and Cherie, Rod Muir obviously recognised your talents, recruiting you for the job of musical director at arguably the biggest radio station at the time, 2SM in Sydney. Now, calling the shots in Perth is one thing, but doing likewise in Sydney would have been a whole new challenge. Oh, it was. It was. I was, I was still a kid. And what I learnt afterwards is that I was taking over from the legendary John Brennan, who that was his first move into producing talk, uh, producing the Gibson and Moore show on 2SM. So I came and my first day on the job, I was in the music library and people were coming and going, you know, legendary people like George Moore, Mike Drayson, Gordon O'Byrne, Alan Steele. I mean, just legends. And... Um, I think they thought I was just the record librarian girl, not just because everyone was important, but no one said boo to me. And I can remember one of the first record reps coming in and they said, um, who do I have to F to get a record played around here? <laughs> and I said, oh, I'm Cherie and I'm the new music director. And it was a girl, so she said, oh, well, I'm not doing that to you. <laughs> so, um, it was a huge step and a lot of challenges because no one took me very seriously. But I think I did a great job. I think Rod thought I did a great job. It was a huge risk from him because it was the girl from Perth to Sydney and it was their heyday. It was the mid-70s, late-70s. And it was an extraordinary heady time, you know. I, I was... I think my naivety played into my hands because I had no inkling of the payola scandal, what you did in this industry. I had not absolute naivety about all of that and I just had a ball doing the job. So how conscious were you of the power that you held by being the musical director in Australia's biggest marketplace in that city's most influential station? Zero. I had no idea how important it was. It wasn't until many years later that I realised that if I'd play, like I knew if we played a song, it would be top 10. Um, but I, I really did not realise that extent of power in inverted commas until many years later. And I think that's probably a good thing because I could have easily gone off the rails. <laughs> Okay, Cherie, for all the good calls that you made, was there ever a group, artist or song that you overlooked at the time that went on to prove you wrong? Well, not an artist, but a song. In fact, I had a bet on it. Um, I don't know if it was the same period, but this sticks in my mind. Trevor Smith, I don't know if you remember the legendary Trevor Smith. Um, I remember Hey Jude coming in on my desk and I played it and I could hear this Judy 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 I thought what a load of crap from the Beatles and he said I bet you I forget what we bet I think it was something like ten dollars or something I said it'll never be a hit Trevor never be a hit anyway of course I was dreadfully wrong and to this day I remember that day clearly but I did get him back on one he said that bridge over troubled waters would never be a hit I said it would so I got him back one. So what made the whole 2SM experience so exciting? 
Look, I'd never, you've got to understand that A, I loved Sydney. The minute I landed, I felt at home, but I'd never been exposed to record company functions, free tickets for concerts. Even though we had all of that in Perth, it was on a, such a small scale. Um, and so to be privileged to be treated like, literally like a queen, and I still didn't kind of get it, but to get the best tickets to the, the best concerts, to be treated so well, I was, I've just felt privileged, you know, I just felt so privileged at the time and really didn't understand it all, as I said, till later. But looking back, I thought, God, that actually happened to me. You know, it was just amazing time. So it's back to Perth as program director to an ailing 6IX. You move the station from the bottom of the ratings pile to number one in double quick time. Simple question, how'd you do it? Um, someone taught me a long time ago, go for a point of difference. I had a little bit of help. So Rod sent me back to Perth to learn my craft as a program director or content director. Um, and him and Rhett were doing consultancies at that time. And uh, it was sort of like a prelude for a precursor for the FM format. So I created a, a station, it was called Easy Rolling 6AX, and I decided to play music that no one else was playing but was very familiar from those heady uh, early 70s, late 70 days. So there was a lot of stuff that wasn't being played by, you know, the Van Morrisons or the, or the um, well, in those days, the Cold Chisel or you know, breakfast at Sweet, all that stuff wasn't being played. So I put that together as a music universe with some very strong, familiar tracks that you would hear somewhere else. And then I hand picked a lineup, and you've got to remember it came from an old talkback, so there was a lot of bloodshed, and it was not a nice thing to have to say goodbye to some really high quality. Uh, presenters for many years in Perth, uh, the Peter Deans, the John Fryman, really extraordinary careers. But I had to do it, that was my job, and um, put this lineup together. And I can take no credit for myself, but the it was such a great team. We were like gelled from day one. We all knew the vision, we all knew where we were going. I was the leader, but I had an extraordinary uh, team with Peter Sinclair and Peter Tanowski doing music and production and, and as I said, that lineup of, of wonderful on-air talent, wonderful. So what was your reaction to you and the station in Perth after such an impact? <laughs> well, first of all, I was called the Wicked Witch from the East for getting rid of so many people. But what they didn't realise is I was actually the girl from Perth. <laughs> But uh, 6 p.m. in those days were, had been number one for decades. And this was the first time that they had been beaten since, I think, the Gentle On Your Mind days. And uh, so to go from num last in the marketplace to number one was, and in such a fast time, was an extraordinary thing and I didn't expect it. Like 
In fact, a little side story, Paul, if I can indulge, was when I had a very tough board, which was Channel 7, 6AX, and uh, when I first came over, there was lots of scepticism, as you can imagine, you know, drop this talk format. You've got to go on a new thing. I can remember being called up after the first two survey books because I, I knew we'd go down before we'd go up and probably go down even further than what they were. And they said, um, Cherie, look, we can't keep funding this. It's, it's not going to work. And I said, one more book. I said, it will work. I said, I can feel it. Because you could, you could tell by the reaction, the phones and the, you know, in those days it was phone reaction and, and um, contest reaction. So they gave me that one last book and it became just below 6 p.m. from memory. And then the book after that, we beat them. So I, uh, but I was on the, on the bottom of my knees, literally begging for a bit more time. Because one of the biggest, I think, challenges even today is when you find your point of difference and you set your vision, give it time to go. Don't keep chopping and changing and don't throw it out. If you know it's right, if you don't know it's right and you've not done your homework, well, it wouldn't matter how long time you've given it. Now, I suppose one of the real endorsements of your industry knowledge and skill set was your involvement in preparing FM licences for stations in both Perth and Sydney. What sort of information was collated in those submissions and what sort of research was required? Oh, God, Paul, that was so hard. Um, the submissions were about, in old language, about six inches thick. So they're quite thick. Um, it had everything from what community service you would do, uh, your news, everything to the second had to be documented, how you would fund it, uh, what advertisers you would be uh, approaching, what was your music format, what was your target demographic, what was your technical specifications, where were you going to... Uh, house the radio station, etc., 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 and it was a huge thing. And I was um, I was requested to help the late Brian Treasure do 96 FM's, Rods for Triple M, and Rhett Walkers for Melbourne, and we got all of them. And um, then Rod. Uh, Rod asked me to be the inaugural program director for Triple M, but then I was also asked to do Perth and Melbourne. Um, I decided to come back to Sydney. But yeah, those licences, I would never want to go through that again. Was that a hard decision to make? And why did Sydney get the nod? Um, I felt at home at Sydney. I felt I knew the audience. I thought that Rod would no matter what the tough times were, he would stick with it. Not that the others wouldn't. I definitely didn't want to go back to Perth. I felt I'd outgrown Perth professionally, not personally, or my family was still there, and I'm very much a family person, so it was a tough decision. Um, and as much as I loved Rhett's creativity and all that he would bring, I felt Sydney was the right one, despite the fact that I was not proven in the rock format, um, but I felt I could do any format, really. 
Now, you talk a lot about teams and teamwork. Tell me about the team that was assembled for Triple M's initial onslaught into the Sydney marketplace. The initial team, uh, okay, Gordon O'Byrne, Keith Williams, Tony Hartney, Tim Webster, Peter Sinclair as music director, but a great on-air liner, absolutely fabulous on-air liner. I think one of the best. The saddest thing was I'd appointed Gordon O'Byrne for drive and about two, no, about four days before he was due to go on air, he rang and said he couldn't do it. So I was like, ah, what are you doing, Gordon? This is the biggest mistake of your life. And he always says now it is the biggest mistake of his life. But, um, yeah, that was a big challenge and Rod and I weren't too happy with that. Now, Cherie, if we were to talk in terms of percentages, when you start off a new station, in this case an FM station, how much depends on the music and how much on the voice behind the microphone? See, I'm, I'm not a percentage person. I'm a feel person. So for me, the music was the bricks, but without great mortar between those bricks, you might as well just put a tape together. And so for me, the, um, the presenters between the music were the magic. They pre-announced, back-announced that music to come to life. And they were also passionate about what they were doing. It just came through the speakers. Now, although it's not quite as significant these days, how important initially was the frequency positioning on that FM dial? It was important in those days, but really we were so close. Triple M and Two Day were so close together and Triple J all up one end of the dial. It was an absolute nightmare. You'd literally move the dial just slightly and you'd be on another station. So we really didn't have the... I guess the privilege of having good space between stations on the dial, you know, it was very difficult. 104.1 and 104.9 was two day and triple M. I'm heading out and moving easy. It's time to hit the road once more. Cherie Romaro is our special guest today on Pilots. And Cherie, Today FM was another challenge working for such a high media profile board with names like Willisey, Laws and Kennedy at the helm. What do you recall of that time? And Graham Kennedy, we obviously know him better as a TV legend, did work a shift on the station. 
What do you think of him as a radio performer? Well, first part of the question, that was extraordinary. When Willisie rang and asked if I would come and fix up two-day because they were ailing and Triple M were doing so well, I was like, oh, this is great. I love this format. I love this, the AC format. And because I'd kind of done it in Perth, slightly different, uh, Perth was a bit younger, I thought I would be able to do a great job, so I said yes. Um, when I got there, it was 90% automated, which I thought, well, no wonder it's a mess. It's pissing with rain and they're saying it's sunny. The time clock never worked and so it would be 10 past 10 and it was really 10 past 11. It was a mess. However, again, gathered a really good team. Um, but we it was tough because Triple M had such a, a, a jump on two-day and we're doing it so much better. It was very tough. And so the board were bleeding money, basically. It was really tough financially. Uh, none of us got paid very much and none of us did it for the money. Um, and we didn't do it for the money at Triple M either. There wasn't any. We did it because we loved it. But to uh, try and entice some sampling to the station, Graham uh, offered, oh, no, we talked about whether or not he would do some spots in breakfast. And he said, no. And I said, what about if you did a Sunday morning breakfast and you didn't, you just did a couple of hours and we could promote it to get people tuning in so they could hear that. And he agreed to that with uh, Brian Newington producing, uh, great Brian Newington production. And he did that for something like six or eight weeks. It wasn't much longer, but it was outstanding. And for anyone who knew of the great Graham Kennedy for television, I can tell you that I was absolutely amazed that when I watched, I watched him rehearse and he would rehearse every gap, every laugh, every single thing was perfection but he knew exactly what he was going to do. Um, I didn't see ad lib, I didn't see take chance, I saw none of that. It was the most extraordinary educational process for me that a person could be that brilliant in communicating, make it sound that natural, but know exactly what he was doing. Yes, indeed, an absolute media legend. Speaking of influential people, you've worked with some of the most influential people in Australian radio history over the past 50 years. You've mentioned him already, but can you expand a little more on Rod Muir? Oh, Rod, look, outstanding, passionate individual, very, um, makes decisions very quickly, knows it, makes decisions, so it's very reactive if he, if he, uh, didn't like something, you'd know it. If he loved something, you'd know it. He wouldn't suffer any fools. In fact, move very quickly. Um, I have a great story. Can I tell a story? Okay, I had a great story at Triple M. We were, we'd had two surveys, I think, and we hadn't reached much over 2%. And we were doing the hard rock format, which was very specialised. Um, and Peter Sinclair was my music director. And after the, I think it was the second or third survey, Rod was just devastated because we had told the board that we'd get 5% in the first year. Well, we weren't even close to that. 
And, you know, there were no FM radios in cars. There was no, you had to buy an FM receiver. So it was, it was almost like a transition of DAB now, mm. but harder because, it, you know, you, you had an audience that was so attuned to AM. Anyway, so Rod called a Sunday morning meeting after the Friday results. They used to come out on Friday. And uh, it was very early and he said, okay, we're changing format. And Peter looked at me and I looked at Peter and thought, well, what are we doing? He said, we're going top 40. That's what we're doing. We're doing top 40. And I thought, okay. I said, so Red, where are we going to position? What's it, you know, top 40, Sheree, just play the hits. Now, the hits, the top five, I think, had uh, a Neil Diamond, a Briar, a Streisand and a John Denver. And I can remember uh, Neil Diamond, Barbara Streisand was You Don't Bring Me Flowers. And I think John Denver from memory was either Annie Song or um, Some Days of Diamonds or one of those. Daggy, anyway. <laughs> and so I said to Peter, well, we better get the top 40 together. So we had to do this by tomorrow morning. Put, changed all the music. Uh, I let Peter go to program the day's music and at uh, 7.20 peak time on uh, the Monday morning we played You Don't Bring Me Flowers back to back with John Denver. Well Rod went berserk, get your ass into the studio so Peter and I had to go in. Uh, he called Peter in, no he called me in first and he said did you know about programming those back to back and I said well no I didn't and Peter said well I did it and Sheree had nothing to do with it and Rod said well why the hell did you do it and you, he said they were top 40, they were top 5 and if they're good enough to play they're good enough to play back to back and that was it. Well Peter was fired on the spot. It was just devastating for me because I thought Peter was one of the best music directors and he just knew how I programmed and he could capture that essence but that's a true story. We never played from Denver or Streisand or Neil Diamond again, I can tell you that. <laughs> yeah, I bet you didn't. What can you tell us about Rhett Walker? Rhett, uh, creative, considered, totally opposite to Rod. Rod was reactionary, led with his gut, knew where he was going to do and absolutely did it. Rep programmed every second. He knew exactly what he was doing every second, 24-7, as a general manager. And in fact, I took a bit of the both of them and they helped mould me to the creative person that I ended up being. But Rep was very considered. He would, he would do a lot of theatre of your mind. So he would do weather imagery to capture the day if you were listening to uh, a radio station which was um, managed by red and it was raining you would hear it's 25 degrees today and you'd hear the sound effects he was a perfectionist of the highest degree and um, I can't speak more highly of his creativity but he did it in a considered manner whereas Rod was like gung-ho. In terms of on-air people, you've also worked with the great Bob Rogers. More recently Bob Rogers, 
amazing person. In fact, I saw him a couple of days ago. 94, I think he is, or 93 now. And had we not been bought by SEN, I would have kept him on the air on Saturday nights because he did a brilliant job. Totally prepared, knew his stuff, outstanding. And when I got there, I thought, oh, God, how can I use Bob? Well, it was really easy. Put him on, make his own show, six hours, and let him go. Don't touch him. Gee, a six-hour shift for a guy that age, that's just unbelievable. He's extraordinary. I can't tell you. He's extraordinary. And I automatically... He, at one stage, he created a show which I, I rang him and I said, Bob, what are you doing? You're playing all these songs that the station's playing. You're not supposed to, I'm doing what I think you'd want. I said, no. I said, no, you do what you want. It's your show. Those six hours are yours. You don't have to prove it to anybody. You've got your audience. You go for it. And uh, we had a wonderful understanding from that day on. Now, Cherie, you also achieved another first in 1992, being appointed Australia's first female radio network general manager at the Australian Radio Network. What were some of the challenges you faced and successes that you achieved with that particular appointment? Oh, God, Paul. Okay, when I went there, it was to specifically, it wasn't for that title, by the way, um, that came later, but group content director was the title at the time. And my job was to launch the mix strain across the country. And um, when they acquired WS and Gold and the other stream to launch the Gold strain. So to uh, align two formats nationally um, and to launch the mix format. And uh, again, a point of difference to everything that was being done. Today was CHR and um, WS at that time were hits and memories, so we positioned it gold so that it wouldn't plagiarise the sister station. Um, and that was a huge challenge. Uh, we had the Canberra stations, we had regional um, Queensland stations, we had Melbourne, Adelaide, Duopoly. Um, the only Duopoly we didn't have was in Perth. And it, it was I was on the road pretty well every week, exhausted. I was a new mum, six-week-old baby. Um, and it, it was a challenge, I can tell you. And I made lots of mistakes along the way, but I also learned a lot. And again, I had an incredible team, and I'd like to just mention John Williams at this stage. John Williams was my general manager when I went to the Australian Radio Network, and the late Brian Byrne was the chief executive of all the Brian, but the Albert family were the board. And the Albert family were incredible board to have, the best, well, one of the best, um, Eon Broadcasting is a pretty damn good board as well. Um, but John Williams was an, an incredible general manager to work with. He basically supported me all the way. And if he thought that I was making a mistake, he would. we would talk about it and he would just, you know, just go, Shreya, have you considered this? Have you considered... He was fantastic. And one of my favourite managers to work with was John Williams. Okay, let's revisit a couple of incidents from the 70s and 80s. 
Now, 6IX was involved in football broadcasts while you were the program director, and at one match you were helping out with the stats, but were refused access into the commentary box because you were a woman. What do you recall about that one? You've done your research, haven't you? <laughs> very well researched. I recall everything about that. Um, in my very early days, Paul, I really wanted to be a sports commentator, the only female sports commentator, as well as doing music. It's my other great passion, sport. And um, yes, I was refused. And the reason it was refused, uh, my sports director said that, Sheree, you can't come into the box because the language is terrible and we can't expose you to it. And the VFL, uh, WAFL, Western Australian Football League, have said no. And I said, but I've heard that language before. I don't think that's a good reason. Um, and I basically defied those orders and did the job that was needed. But the next day, um, we were informed via my sports director that that would never happen again, and I was never to do it again. And for a girl who had kind of a quiet passion to call the odd sports event, that was pretty horrible. Um, and so there was no way out. But Bob, Bob, who was my sports director, came in and said, OK, I'm going to go back to them, Sheree, and say, if you can't do it, we're pulling out a football broadcast completely. And I was like, what? We can't do that. And he said, yes, we can. And anyway, that was the threat that went back. The short answer was after that, they conceded, but I never got back into the box and it, would all, it all just went away. But it was a horrible time because I was really sports fanatic and I still am. Now, Cherie, in the late 80s, you look in your diary and note that you've got an appointment with an unfashionable at the time former king of pop and his manager coming in to spruik the artist's latest album. What were your thoughts before, during and after that now significant meeting? Okay. Um, yes, Glenn had run and asked if I would have a listen to this album before, you know, they had it, it was ready to be released. And I... I was always a huge fan of John Farnham. Um, hated Sadie, hated all his early stuff, but loved his voice. I thought his voice was extraordinary. Um, and uh, so I was very keen to hear this album. And they both came in and I had an office uh, just to the right of the, no, the left of the reception area. And Glenn came in, but John didn't. John went into the boardroom. And I said, where's John? He said, I, he doesn't want to be here. He, he just wants to be in the boardroom. And we put the album on and I heard the, I guess, less than 15 seconds of you're the voice. And I just thought, oh my God, this is going to be amazing. I didn't even hear the end of the track. I picked up the album. I said to Glenn, stay there. He said, what are you doing? What do you do? I said, just stay there. I took it into the studio. And those are the days we still had turntables, but we had carted everything, but this time we didn't cart it. And I asked the announcer at the time 
if the next song he could play this on air and see what reaction. And we played it on air and Glenn was sitting in my office and I had my stereo up really high, but right across the building there was the speakers, including the boardroom. And so it was played and Glenn basically just couldn't contain himself. So we went into the boardroom and John was literally, uh, he was in a very unusual position and he was crying because they had put every ounce of energy into this album. They believed in it and I can't tell you, I was so thrilled when I heard that one track, but it wasn't just that one track, the whole album was outstanding. And I still have a plaque that was given to me to say thank you for your contribution to this because it may not have happened. Because Triple M had knocked it back, everyone had knocked it back because it was John Farnham. So it just needed that one uh, airing, I guess, and then everyone took notice and everyone started playing it. So it was an extraordinary time. I'm getting emotional even talking about it because I just felt so much for them both and so incredible that day. And I just knew it. I just knew it was an amazing song. And that's the story. Okay, we've heard about Cherie the student, Cherie the music director and Cherie the general manager. What can you tell us about Cherie the netballer? Oh, God. <laughs> Where did you do your research? Okay, um, Cherie played netball from a very young age, achieved very high levels, but did my knees in very badly. Um, in fact, 60 Minutes did a story on my famous knees um, to try and get the rule changed because when you land as a netballer, you tear your ACL basically. And um, I was one of the first people to get a full knee reconstruction with the ACL by a very famous doctor called Dr. Merv Cross. My knees were, didn't work after that, but the netball was very much part of my sporting life. I absolutely loved it, um, but those knees did not stand up. And more recently, I just had a double knee replacement and I'm perfect. I wish I'd done it 20 years ago. Okay, here's another one for you. Can you define what a groovy grub worm is? <laughs> oh, I don't know. That was just a little term I used. Um, it, it probably meant to be hip and cool. Does that answer it? <laughs> yeah, I, I think it does. Now, Cherie, the honorary doctorate from the Australian Film, Television and Radio School and the recognition in the Women's Museum of Australia, you must be just so proud of those two achievements and acknowledgements. Um, I'm proud, but gosh, I wish, I just wish my parents were around to have seen what I achieved because in those days, you know, you, you were a typist and they certainly didn't encourage radio but um i would have loved for them to have seen what i achieved and the afters award was unbelievable um i i'm involved in afters because i love giving back i still lecture to this day i still give up my time 
if anyone needs help, I'll be there because I want to be able to sit back when I finally uh, turn off the television because I've done a lot of television as well and turn on the radio and be able to hear great radio in the future. And there is some brilliant talent coming through. Okay, Cherie, let's knock over these dozen or so questions. First one being, where were you when you heard that John Lennon had died? Triple M. We'd only launched in August and he was killed in August and we worked, I think, 18 hours straight, wrote a documentary on the run, put it to air on the run, Triple M, clear as a day. Can you tell us the last concert ticket you paid for? Uh, Eagles. Eagles. I'm a huge fan of the Eagles. Absolutely love the Eagles. And I wanted to see um, the Eagles when they came to Australia that last visit because um, I think uh, Don Henley wasn't there and his son, I think, was there. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a concert act you regret never seeing? Can I have two? Yep. Can I... I I all I was too young for this, but oh God, I wish I'd seen Elvis Presley. I would have loved to have been at that concert where he just had the band and the leather and the. I just, oh God, that would have been amazing, and uh, I would have loved that. And the other one, it would be a surprise, but I'd always planned to see George Michael. I think he is a very underrated talent, and I'd always planned to see it. And when he died, I was like. What? I'll never get to see George Michael. Okay, who was the on-air personality called into the boss's office most often? Doug Mulray. <laughs> Without uh, Doug Mulray, followed closely by Mike Carlton. Skyhooks or Sherbert? I wasn't really big on either of them, although I had a crush on Sherbert's manager at the time, Roger Davies, so I guess I'll be Sherbert. The Rolling Stones or the Beatles? Both. Could not separate them. Cherie, do you have a most treasured piece of memorabilia from those early radio days? I was presented with a numbered black box master set of the Beatles. And I think I was number uh, 118, which is pretty low. And I still have it. Hey, nice one. The biggest risk you took that realised your biggest return? Oh, going from AM to FM and also borrowing $10,000 to buy shares in the Triple M network, which I lost every cent, uh, was a huge risk. But gosh, FM was great for my career and, and it was the right move. Was there a moment that someone walked into your station and you were suddenly starstruck? You're going to laugh at this. I think it was Graham Kennedy, and then closely followed by, I, I thought John Farnham was outstanding talent. I know, I mean, of all the, uh, I mean, I've met the best, talked to the best, dined with the best, but I have a really, I just think John Farnham as an Australian artist with that voice is so underrated. Okay, if it wasn't radio, what might your career have been? Oh, I've already told you that. Maybe a sports 
commentator, one of the first, and I would have been great. Finally, Cherie, two albums that you would consider to be the soundtrack of your teenage years. Oh, gosh, that's easy. Aretha Franklin and Bob Dylan. Absolutely. Well, Cherie, we've covered so much in the last 50 minutes, but there's so much more that we haven't even touched on. But can I say, we've mentioned names of some of the most significant people in Australian radio history over the last 50 years. However, in the same breath, we should also mention Cherie Romaro because your influence in radio across Australia is nothing short of legendary. Hey, listen, can't tell you how much I've been looking forward to this chat. Enjoyed it immensely. Thanks for joining us on Pilots. Oh, Paul, you're so sweet. Thank you so much. I'm absolutely honoured that you've taken the time to have a chat to me. I just love what I do. I've never done it for money. I've never done it for anything else except for the love. And I think if you do something with passion and you love it, you'll be successful. Cherie Romaro on Pilots of the Airwaves. Airwaves.